ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Scottish Clans podcast. Once again, I'm Clint Edwards, and I'm excited to have you with me today. Today, I'm going to discuss a topic that has to be discussed, and that is where we left off with the last episode on the topic of sources. Where are we getting our information about the clans? And I'm going to share with you some of my frustrations that I've encountered encountered as I have studied this subject. As I was writing my master's thesis on the Scottish clans, I just noticed some trends. And if I'm paying attention to the details and the way it's presented, it led me to certain conclusions. And that and I'll tell you that the, just right off the bat, one of those uh, conclusions that I got to in the way that the material is presented is, are the Scottish clans, when we talk about the clans of Scotland, the whole country, is that concept relegated to the highlands and borders? Or is that something that's common across Scotland? You know, we we know <clears throat> we know the Highland clans. We know we know the the Mackenzies and the Mackays and the Macintoshes and the the Robertsons and the Camerons and the McDonalds and the Campbells and these all these great clans that we've all all hear about. And and to be honest, when a common person person thinks of the iconography of Scotland, they're usually thinking in terms of Highlanders. They're not, they're not thinking about the border reaver. They're not thinking about people from Edinburgh. They're, they're thinking about the kilt. They're thinking about the Highland pipes. They're thinking about it, if they know a little bit more, the claymore. Yet all of these symbols are symbols that come from the Highlands. And as I push deeper and deeper into the subject, I noticed that there's a common theme with a lot of the, the histories that I was reading about the different clans. Here, and here's what it was. When you, when you, once again, going back to those sources that I mentioned in the last episodes, the last episode, you go to those sources and you, you if you're looking at a history of one of those clans I just mentioned, one of the Highland clans, okay, so let's pick one, for instance, let's pick the... One that, let's actually pick one we didn't, and let's talk about the McLeods. You can, you can learn about the McLeods, and you can learn about things the McLeods did as a clan. If you, let's take another one, for example, the Macintoshes. The Ma- and things that, when I talk about things that they did as a clan, in, the, in these Highland histories, Usually that's fighting. Things that they came together for, for a common purpose, based on the either real or perceived element of kinship. So they get together and they do something. You know, in some cases it was economic. But the ones that made the history books the most were military ventures. And so going back to the Macintoshes, we, we know they, they were the, the, Macin- the chiefs of the clan Macintosh, were also the captains of Clan Hatton. And we learn about their feuds that they had, specifically with the Camerons. And I plan on doing an episode on that. In fact, I want to get a little mini-series going on all the different feuds and discuss who won, who uh, 
who lost. How do you even tell who wins or loses? However, when you start studying about some of the lowland kindreds, now all you learn about is the exploits of the chiefly line. You, you don't learn as much about the wider group, the kindred group that had a chief, that the group acknowledged him as the chief, he acknowledged himself as in charge of more than just his feudal territory or his immediate family, that he had this wider kindred that looked to him for leadership. All you learn about is, okay, we think that the first chief of the Boyds was this guy, is the first time we see the name come up, and then a couple of generations later we see this guy pop up, and he's in charge of this, and then his son did this, and then his son did this, and all you're learning about is this one little line. You're not learning about this larger kin group. And I saw that pattern pop up enough that I actually got the question in my head, were were the clans common to all of Scotland, or was it just certain parts of Scotland that had clans? You know, and I'd, I've read enough to know that the the border folks were sure enough clans, and and I don't know if the word clan was so much used there in the border country. I think a lot of times they refer to the a group as a surname. Maybe there's some other some other groups I'm not thinking of right off the top of my head that they used, but. But they were organized along kindred lines, and and there was a group of let's use the for an example the Johnstons. There was a group of people that identified with them as once again either real or perceived kindred, and got together to go raiding with this same group of people because they identified with each other as as kin, and so the border country good to go there Highlands. No question. But then you get to the central belt. You can wrap around up the eastern highlands. Um, Ayrshire. You're, I'm, I'm just wondering, after you've seen this pattern come up enough of speaking of the highland clans in terms of what they did as a clan, and yeah, it does mention individuals, but it does often mention things they did as a clan, specifically fighting, and then they do it with the border country too. But when you get to these other lowland clans, quote-unquote lowland, and they're only mentioning the history of a certain line of people who bore this one surname. They're not talking about any kind of larger group, and I just get thinking, were they even clans? Do we have people all over the world who are descended from Scottish ancestors who think when who think of their ancestors? Well, first of all, they're thinking of their lowland ancestors with highland icons. And then they are, and and then what? And and then so so was that a was that historically accurate perception? Were they even organized into clans? And so this this guy over here is looking up the his ancestors who were Lockhart's, or Ruthven's, or you know pick pick a lowland name. And he's thinking, hey, I'm part of the Ruthven clan. I'm part of the Lockhart clan. I'm part of the, you know, going down the Montgomery clan. And I just got to questioning that. Now, what I'm not telling you right now is that the conclusion that I arrived at 
was that they're not clans. I actually found some really interesting stuff, but I had to dig really deep to get it. It was not available on any of these top Google searches. I really had to dig. And, and I'll be telling you some of the results of my searching in the next episode. But I'm just pointing out that as you study these clan histories that are the most readily available to you online, often a picture is painted. Now, once, like I said in the last episode, you notice that a lot of this information sounds eerily familiar as you go from website to website to website and you're looking at their clan pages. You're like, yeah, this is kind of the same stuff that the last one said. Well, maybe it's just because there's the same events that are noteworthy and it's going to get presented and yeah they I'm not saying they plagiarize each other necessarily but um, maybe there's a legitimate reason for that but another legitimate reason might be going back to this the source that I did mention in the last podcast which is the Scottish clan and family encyclopedia by and I mentioned all these these contributors last time the primary authors that is always are always listed is George Way of Pleen and Romilly Squire. And they, after they list their names in here, there's a bunch of letters after that, and I don't know what they all mean because I'm pretty sure they're part of the UK way of listing honors and titles. And I need to do a little bit more looking up on that. But I'm sure that these people are very smart. Or I, I mean, I don't even know if they're still alive. This book was published in... 1994, first published. So that's not too long ago, at least if you're my age, you don't think that's too long ago. I was in high school. Anyway, so as you go through this book, I'm just going to talk about this book a little bit because it seems like this book is used by most people as they're writing a clan history. And so I'm just going to start right here, page 13, Clanship. A Historical Perspective by Professor Alan McInnes, who is listed in the list of contributors. It says he is a Burnett Fletcher Professor in History and Head of Department, History and Economic History Department, University of Aberdeen. Now, of course, that might be completely outdated, but those are some of the positions he has held. All right, so he writes this intro piece, Clanship, A Historical Perspective, Okay, now this is where we. This is where I see. I begin to see inconsistencies, um, not necessarily with his own writing, just within the book as a whole. So Professor McInnes gives us this part. He doesn't get too far into it. The the history starts on page thirteen. On page fourteen, he's jumping right into the Highlands. Now the purpose of this part of the book is to give you some historical context as you go through and you learn about the different clans or families and it does use both of those terms in the title and but it does not really differentiate between which, like which one is which and are they operating on the assumption that if it was lowland they're called families and if they're highland they're called clans there's a article or piece written by Sir Crispin Agnew that talks about the difference between those two he argues that there's no difference in the use of those terms and that in Highland, the McDonald's could accurately be referred to as the McDonald family, and you could accurately refer to the Humes as the the clan Hume. Um, I'll talk. I'm actually going to talk about that piece in a maybe in the next episode. But 
this, both terms are used in the title of this book. But the, the problem is, as Professor McInnes goes in to give you the historical context of the clans, he jumps right into Gaeldom, right into the highlands. And so the first term he brings up is the concept of duchus. He says the collective heritage of the clan, their duchus, was their prescriptive right to settle the territories over which the chiefs and leading gentry of the clan customarily provided protection. Okay, so you get this, this Gallic word, duchus. And then shortly after that, you learn about the term iracht. And so now we're getting into very Gallic terms. And so one thing I had written out on the margin is, this is a Gallic concept. Did the lowlands have an equivalent? But he doesn't. If they did, you don't see it in here. All you're learning about is a highland cultural context. In the next column on the same page, you see the term tanishtir. The heir to the chief is usually the direct male heir, and although attention has tended to focus on those clans where the direct heir was set aside in favor of a more politically accomplished or belligerent relative, disputes over succession were not characteristic of the highlands beyond the 16th century. And he goes on to talk more about that concept, but he's talking about a Gallic word, tanishtir. Um, as you go on to the next page, on page 15, you'd see that he talks about the, the concepts of fosterage and manrent. Well, okay, so the, there we are dealing with English terms now. So, okay, we're getting a little bit more broader context, maybe. So, the question then is, are these, are these concepts, whether you're going back to the Duchus and Iracht or to Foster Gemanrent, are these concepts that were common across the cultural spectrum of Scotland during, let's say, the 13, 14, 1500s, where we're reading a lot about these clan histories? Um, and I will just tell you that in some of my reading, I have found where lowland families are engaged in fosterage, and you actually do see the fostering occur across cultural lines. So some of these, and, and maybe this is part of the Statutes of Iona, and they're taking these. The Statutes of Iona, that's a, if you're just a, in, at an intro level to the Scottish clans, that's, that's something you just need to, you need to Google and look that up. It's a pretty big, pretty big deal. Um, I've got some articles written by some Scottish professors off the top of my head. Alison Cathcart has written on that subject, but where they're trying to get these... It's a program where they're trying to get these Highlanders to embrace lowland culture. They look at Gallic culture as inherently rebellious. And if they could just culturally adjust the Highlands that they would have an easier time getting along. And so you're going to take these highland, the kids that grow up in the highland chiefs' homes and send them to school in the lowlands. And, and I'm just wondering, maybe did that include fosterage as well? Anyway, just some thoughts. Going back into this, uh, Professor McInnes' cultural context here, as an introduction, as, you, as we learn this before we study all the clans, Management of the clan. He talks about the position of a taxman. I'm not going to go into detail on what a taxman was. Was that a concept that was used both in the highlands and lowlands? Going on over to page 16, we have talk of bards, and, and he just says it, Gallic poets, and the concept of sending out the fiery cross. Did lowland quote-unquote clans use the fiery cross to gather people? And on the next column... Public perceptions of unruly elements within Ga Gaeldom tended to make the blanket accusation 
sorry, blanket association of clanship with feuding and banditry commonplace, a perception that was not discouraged at the Scottish court or by central government after the Union of the Crowns in 1603. So, right right now, like even, even in his own words, he's talking about Gaeldom. He is not talking about a pan-Scottish cultural context, just in a particular part of Scotland. Next page, page 17, you have the on the subject of reaving, which reaving was a term that was used in the borders, uh, that hence border reaver. So, but you, but then he goes into these Gallic terms. You have the krech and the spray, um, and the taskal, all involved in either raiding lowlands or setting up an uh, setting up a an extortion system. Basically, is what I'm getting out of this. And it, he goes on in the next column to talk about. Gaeldom could not be governed without the cooperation of the chiefs. The reason I'm going through all of these things in here is that I'm just telling you that they're setting up the whole book that's going to present information on kindreds both from the Scottish Highlands and Lowlands. And all of the cultural context and historical context they're giving us is Highland in nature. And I just wonder how broad of a brush can we stroke across the, the canvas with this um, in then on page 19 under the topic the clans and Jacobitism he, Professor McKinnis says rebellions were marked by militant divergence of opinion among Highland clans as well as lowland families so now we're making the distinction Highland clans lowland families so is it wrong to speak of lowland families or lowland clans rather they make a distinction here, and it seems to be deliberate. Anyway, those are just some of the... Just just to paint the fact that they're, they're setting this up in a Gallic context. Now, if you go... The next part of the introductory material is called The Law of the Clan, and this was written by George Way of Pleen. And he starts right off. The first, the name clan is derived from the Gallic word clana, meaning children. You go down a little bit farther toward the end of the paragraph, he introduces the Fenia system. And and he he quotes Professor Skeen, and he starts talking about the Gilfina. And you, as you go on, it's just more and more Gallic terms. The Ken Cobb, the, the battle leader of a specific clan. That's a specific, a specific position that a lot of the Highland clans used, obviously, because they're using... Now, hey, look pause on the Highland is synonymous with Gaelic in Scotland. I just want to let everybody know that Gaelic was spoken in southwestern Scotland, and I believe clear up into the 1600s it was a viable language in southwest Scotland. Uh, Galloway and Dumfries and uh, parts of Ayrshire. Anyway, um, so I'm saying that the way I'm talking about it is I'm just going to continue with the way we commonly think about it. We think about Gaelic equals Highlands and Isles. So I'm going to continue. We see the term Tanishtir pop up again. Going back to the Fina system, you have Derfina, and uh, he mentions Kentia, the head of the household, the Dinuussel, that is the gentry of the clan. All Gaelic terms. We're just like neck deep in Gaelic here. But then... On the very next page, on page 22, yeah, by the way, I was just reading off page 21 there, the law of the clan is where that part of the intro starts. On the next page, page 22, under the lion court, 
you have this statement here that's interesting. As the clan system was at the heart of Scottish society and heraldry, blah, 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 blah. But that's an interesting statement. The clan system was at the heart of Scottish society. So in that statement, what I'm getting out of that is all of Scottish society, not just Highland society. However, all I'm learning about is the Highlands when we're setting up the cultural context here. And let me show you another statement that kind of confirms that right there. Once again, we're going on, as you go on in this particular article, you're learning about the, uh, the back into the Finnish system, and the uh, you get to learn more about the Ken Ka. And under the section, so we're on page 28, but we're under the section that began on the previous page, learning about a what a chieftain was. Okay, so we're back on page 28. You see this statement, the majority of great feudal landowners in Scotland were of course, within the clan system. So they're saying that the clan system was ubiquitous in Scotland. But the whole lead-up under this point has only been in a Gallic context. They've just gone to great lengths to teach us about Gallic culture. And then they had this whole system, or the whole this whole part here on that was written by Alastair Campbell of the Airds, Tartan and the Highland Dress. Once again, we're still, we have not left the Highlands as we set up this book for its cultural context. Well, what about all those people who call clan this or clan that, and they they weren't Highlanders? Once again, we got it. The borders had clans. What about all the other people? What about the Keiths and the Erskins? What about the, uh, the Moncriefs and the... Dunbars, and you know, I just go down this list of huge list. Of the, the, a lot of the names that are, you know, we're used to seeing the Mac names from Scotland, but these these are also other very prominent Scottish names. Yet they don't come from the Highlands. They didn't. Did they have a a Ken Ka, a battle chieftain? Did they use the Finnish system with just English words, basically? I, I don't know, but all I've been given so far as this book has set me up to learn about the clans and families of Scotland is a Gallic context. Why is that? Why do we have to teach about the clans solely from that? You know, if you're, I think in person, you're starting to wonder, really, we're, why do we have to go to the Highlands for all these terms? What was the lowland equivalent? Or was there a lowland equivalent? And so the rest of the book is is divided up between clans that currently have chiefs and clans that that and they are con- constitute the first chunk of the book and then after that you have all of the clans or families that do not currently have a chief and are considered armigerous armigerous to be honest with you I've never spoken that word in a conversation out loud with another human being and that's why I'm doing a podcast, so that I can actually find more people to talk to this stuff about. Anyway, so I probably d- didn't do very well in that word, so forgive me. Anyway, so I'm going back through these other clans that don't have chiefs. And I'm just going to say clans that don't have chiefs instead of that word that I don't really know how to pronounce. And I'm learning about them, but it doesn't matter. All of these clans and families are discussed after you've been given a Gallic cultural background. All right, so that's that's my... That's my criticism of the book. 
I'm not telling you that any of the Gallic inf the information on the Gallic background by Professor McInnes was wrong. I'm not. I'm not sharpshooting any of his work. I'm not meaning to be critical of these gentlemen personally or, or even professionally. I'm just saying the way the book is set up leads a person down a certain road, which is only confirmed when you're studying about clan histories online with the popular sources that I discussed in the last episode. It really gets you to wondering... Were the actual was the actual clan system relegated to the highlands and borders, or is this something that Scotland as a general people participated in, regardless of the region of Scotland they came from? Well, George Way of Pleen in his comments on the in the article The Law of Scotland, he seems pretty clear that all of Scotland had some kind of involvement in the clan system. Well, here's the deal. This kind of, I really got into this and studied this for a while, and I actually did come to some answers for my questions, but I'm not going to give them to you right now because I'm trying to keep these podcasts shorter. So I'm going to wrap it up now. I'm going to tell you thank you for joining me for this episode. And if you found any of this information thought-provoking, and, you know, really, if you have, I don't know, this is kind of an interesting question because if you don't come from a highland background or the borders, this leaves people like, oh, were my ancestors not part of this thing? Am I not involved? Am I not descended from this? Am I, does this completely turn on its head the way I think about my Scottish ancestors? Well, so this, this might have personal implications and I'm not going to answer that yet. Stay tuned for the next episode. And... If this was helpful for you at all, like I began earlier, please go on iTunes. Um, give me a, give me a review. Talk to me. Uh, go on our go on the Facebook page. Leave me a leave me a, a comment on there talking about, you know, hey, I'm from this clan. What about us? You know, did we're Highland versus Lowland versus Borders? Where were we? Or hey, here's a big piece of information that you have not discussed yet, and let me know where I'm lacking. Once again, I do not get to have this conversation with, for starters, anybody in my own household, but uh, anybody in my immediate circle in the town where I'm at. There are some people here. We've got uh, we've got people in, in our community who do have Highland even surnames and, and some others, but um, not anybody that just wants to completely nerd out on this like I've been doing. So... Go on Facebook and nerd out with me, please. Let me know what I'm missing. Ask the questions. We'll respond to those in future episodes. I know that so far in all the episodes, we've only been talking about the subject of Scottish clans generally, and we mention individual clans as we go. Yes, I do intend to have full episodes just dealing with specific clans but I just have to as we get this started I feel like this is where we need to start by understanding what we're talking about before we really start talking about it just makes sense to me anyway I look forward to hearing from you please please give me a good review and uh, and subscribe to this channel and we'll we'll visit with you on the next episode have a great day